0: From 11FS, I'm David Breer, and this is Fintech Insider News. Today we bring you the winners of the latest RBS Remedies Pool, Monzo heads over to stateside, and Dave can help your credit score. All this and more on today's show. Welcome to episode 333 of Fintech Insider. That was fun to say. We're coming to you live from the 11FS HQ in London town. My name is David Breer, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Mr. Simon Taylor. How's it going, Simon?
1: It's going. My goodness. Facebook coin. Things are happening. Another big, big week in fintech. Wow. Do
0: I finally have a good reason to open up Facebook again other than messages from my mom? Uh,
1: No. Um, okay. But if you want to know all about the Facebook coin, do check out Blockchain Insider uh, episode that was out this
0: past Thursday. It's available on iTunes now. Nice. Was that a cop out of what episode number that was then?
1: Yeah, I completely forgot. I think it was 102 or 103. It was 101
0: uh, convincing. <laughs> Producer Laura <laughs> into save the day. <laughs> Producer Laura saved me once again. <laughs> All right. On that out. let's uh, keep us going forwards. As always, we are definitely not alone in terms of what we're doing today. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Michael Fotis, CEO and founder of Smart Many People. How's it going? Good.
2: Thanks for the Did email. I get that right? Perfect. Oh Perfect. man, nailed
0: it. Uh, Mr. Dean Butler, Head of Innovation at Prudential. How's it going, Dean? Hello, it's going very well. Thank you for having me. Very good. And Shafali Gupta, VP Strategy and Ops at Fluidly. Busy week for you guys.
3: Very much so, yeah. <laughs>
0: we'll come to that in a little while. More foreshadowing. More foreshadowing, we're, foreshadowing we're getting foreshadowing. very good at foreshadowing. Um, I mean, I find the more I read the show notes, the more I can foreshadow. It's wonderful. Mm. All right, let's get on with the news. Speaking of foreshadowing, Pool D winners announced for the RBS Remedy stuff. So this is over on FinTech Futures. We had five winners in the latest RBS-derived funding round. Now, only if we had somebody who was part of the winners to potentially say what it means to them and accept this reward on behalf of how it go big week. I saw... Like Caroline posting great pictures of big bowls of champagne. That was awesome.
3: Yeah, yeah. So massive week for us. We're so very thrilled to have this opportunity and win this award. I mean, we know it's highly competitive and a lot of hard work went into it. And this actually, this funding means a lot to us in terms of our runway and where we can get to in terms of product and um, commercialization of our tech. So super exciting.
0: Very cool. And I read through the public commitments. You're committing to some really interesting things. Right. Do you want to talk a little bit about that as well?
3: Yeah, sure. So um, essentially what we're going to use the money for um, is two main things. So product development and then um, the sales side of things. So... Within product development, um, two main things. So, actually, would it be helpful if I give a twenty-second summary of what Fluidly does? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, great.
0: I mean, Caroline's great at doing the pitch.
3: Like
0: she, <laughs> she, she's done she's done this a few times, but definitely do it. Yeah.
3: Okay, so um, I will be nowhere as good as Caroline, but essentially, we are a software that forecasts cash flow and help. Uh, it's an intelligent cash management software for SMEs. Um, and so, essentially, the on the product side, we want to build two things. One is. Um, an insights actions hub which basically looks at the data of this SME and also benchmarking data across the industry um, and tells them uh, what in bite-sized pieces of information what you what you should do um, based on what you can see on the data so for example if um, there's an hMRC tax bill coming up uh, we will say oh you're running out of cash maybe you should take out a, a credit or or if you have excess cash we'll say well, maybe you should take out a savings product because you have this excess money and you can actually make a return on it. So that's the insects and actions hub. And the other side of it is the financial marketplace where we're going to help you fulfill those actions. So credit products, saving products, and anything that would be helpful to SMEs.
0: Fantastic. I mean, it's um, it's definitely a great service because it's kind of getting in and ahead of the stuff that, I mean, small customers just bump into as problems right now. Right. How do you manage cash flow? How do you manage finances generally? Exactly. uh, I mean, five million pounds, that's going to go a long (laughs) way to sort of help that. Alongside you guys, there was uh, Code uh, Form 3, Funding Options, and Swoop Finance, who were the uh, other parts of the lucky winners. And this is part of the 775 million, damn, that's a lot of money, uh, RBS, uh, State Aid Alternative Remedies Package, which we lovingly refer to as the Cruel an unusual punishment um, but um i mean what do you guys think on this 775 mil being dished out i think the only one that we've still got to wait for is pool c now yeah. weird that we did d before c but like i mean who am i to challenge the alphabet right yeah. um but what do you guys think is this going to shape up how sme banking generally is done in the uk or is this going to be i mean more of the same. What do you think? Uh, time will tell with this one. If, if you look at the number seven hundred fifty million, that's
4: an astonishing number. If you also look at the number that some people spent on their actual pitch packs mm-hmm. for this money, it's also an astonishing number. So I just hope they don't carry on spending money like that and they actually build something that's usable.
1: Well, I, I really do like that there was a mix of the pools of funding. So we saw with Pool A, we had uh, you know some real startup banks in there, but with Pool B, we had some traditional banks. It feels Feels like it's been quite balanced and and perhaps you know the greatest opportunity is now there for the market to, to really do something interesting for small businesses that have frankly been woefully underserved historically. Um, small business bank accounts until quite recently were basically at the bottom end of the market, especially. We're just a retail bank account, but that you have to pay for the privilege. And a small business has all kinds of problems like being able to, as you were saying, see that um, HM, you know, that tax bill that's coming, see that invoice that I'm, might have missed that somebody should be paying uh she should be paying me see that I, I- I might not make payroll because there's a dip in my cash. Like all of these things that Fluidly and others do, uh, but also some of the infrastructure stuff that supports businesses like Fluidly and others to do interesting things. I mean, whilst it was a cruel and unusual punishment for RBS, it does it has created a hive of activity. A lot of it, possibly on PowerPoint, but a lot of it, <laughs> but a lot of it, doing really interesting things and a good mix of people. Yeah,
2: it's it's a super interesting um, opportunity. We've had a few calls from businesses actually calling us up saying RBS have offered us money to leave. Who should we move to? Are Starling legit? Who the f- is tied? Um, <laughs> and I think that's where the challenge comes from um, and actually, my personal view that is if the economy does dip over the next few months, most sMEs are going to go for the big brands and the big names that they 've come to believe are more secure and more uh, strong, um, so I think there is a window of opportunity, but it is potentially quite small
4: what 's exciting to see as well is this is driving true innovation in fintechs you know when we 've seen a number of fintechs actually rise up and receive substantial amounts of funding. And that's only going to be a good thing for the end customer. If you look at SMEs, their projections and their credit flow and just working day to day. If you're able to build a product which actually demonstrates how they can move forward, which better serves them. But not only that, then gives them an end point in which to purchase something. It's going to be a great output. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, you've got five startups here giving away no equity to get five million pounds that's a wonderfully amazing thing. You know, like, so being in a situation where essentially you've got that potential to, I know you're matching the investment, aren't you? But being in a situation where essentially you can double the investment potential into something you really believe in, that's, Phenomenal. So, I mean, it, it is weird how much good is coming out of something so weird. But yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be really um, amazing in the market. If you kind of um, every indicator is that we're going to be going into a period where actually it's going to be harder to get capital than it is yeah. today, then I mean, this sets up people really trying to do disruptive stuff in the SME space for Years, which is great. You know, hopefully, it lets everybody weather the the, the winter.
1: Essentially, uh, on on Thursday, as we record this, uh, Mark Carney has come out and said that we're projecting sort of almost zero growth in the second half of the year in the UK. So, thanks, uh, Mark. Thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks <laughs> for that. Yay, optimism. Uh, but but actually, that means this is really timely because who are the first to feel that? It's it's often the small businesses. It's often the ones with cash flow problems. So, uh, the ability to not only have choice in bank accounts but choice in lending providers, which especially as Paul C comes along. Could be really well timed.
3: And I completely agree about the innovation point and the disruption because if you look at the public commitments that have come through from pools A, B, and D, um, you can see how many SMEs are going to be impacted over the three to five years. And because this genuinely drives choice and competition in the market in new and innovative ways, I think this is really going to make a difference. Mm.
0: Okay, moving on to our next story that was over on Yahoo Finance. So this is Monzo heads stateside. So startup bank Monzo heads to the US as a monthly sign-up hits 250,000 people. Dang. Uh, Monzo has announced plans to launch in the US, first market outside of the UK. And I mean, I think this one's kind of been coming for a while, hasn't it? I think, didn't you do an interview with Tom ages and ages ago where he basically said, we want to be the first challenger bank that has a, billion customers yeah which i mean even in my tiny maths brain could figure that they need to get out of england at some point i think that used to be the cover of their investor
1: deck at one point i think they've now changed that To to something different as a mission statement, but still it was a heck of a statement of intent at at one point. And it's been probably the worst kept secret in history that the challengers from the UK are looking at the US market. Although we've seen uh, Revolut open in Australia at the same time, and we've seen uh, other things like that happen and other people eyeing the Asian market. Uh, But N26, of course, have have looked at this market as well. So uh, it feels like, um, yeah, the worst kept secret ever. But the the plans to launch in the US are being done the way the they did it here in the UK, which is they're not going big. They're not trying to open everywhere at once. They're starting with a small group of people who uh, when a series of in-person sign-up events in San Francisco, New York, and other major cities. And I think a lot of people miss that because, well, yes, Monzo has 2 million customers in the UK now, and you can say what you want about do they have the salary account or not. 2 million customers is a lot of customers. Uh, and in the US, they're not going. We're going to have two million overnight. They're saying no. We're going to start small. We're going to work with these in-person events, and we're going to um, also partner as well, which I thought was a really interesting point. So they're launching in partnership with was it um, Sutton Bank, David?
0: Yeah. So I, I guess that's similar to the approach that they sort of took here to a certain degree, right? Mm-hmm. Using somebody else's mm-hmm. regulatory presence to kind of get into market. But I mean, I mean, I, I like Monzo. I think this is a good thing. But I'm quite skeptical about how successful it will be, if I'm honest with you. Given the amount of challenges that there actually are, you know, people like Chime uh, in the US, I mean, essentially what they're talking about doing is trying to do, you know, 50 times what they've done here to try and make themselves successful over in the US, which I think, I'm not sure US humans are, like, really into British things beyond, like, I don't know, Q Grant and Mr. Bean. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, so I'm not sure that we're going to have that sort of cheeky, chappy Londoner vibe that we can sell you a bank as well. Mm. So it's going to be interesting to see what they can do. But I think, I think Monzo are in a funny territory right now. I think they, I think they really sort of struck a bit of a rocky patch when they tried to do the weird blue card Monzo plus thing yeah. that just hasn't sort of resonated. And I, I fear a little bit like if they try and do too much, They're going to start doing lots of things badly rather than really sticking to their knitting and doing, you know, there's a long road that they've got to go still with the UK. And while 2 million is impressive, there's still a lot of ground to go.
4: I echo your views. I like how they're dipping their toe in the market. They're leveraging somebody else's banking license, so they're not having to wade straight in and going head against, you know, the financial regulations that sit across many counties in the US. Did say counties.
1: Yeah, the states. states. They have counties too in the states. But
4: yeah. uh, and then I like how they're launching it in different cities. They're not just going to go full bank across the US. And if you look at the size of different cities in the US, they are virtually the size of, you know, London plus three others. So just by making a small splash, they could actually make a big impact on their numbers. And we also live in a world now of hype, of the world of Instagram and Facebook. So if they're able to ride on the hype that they created in the UK and do something somewhat different, then I think they've got a strong chance. Yeah.
3: I think the way they're entering the US is definitely on brand for them. Um, They created this sort of like hipsterish vibe with their like orange cards, coral cards, as they call it. (laughs) Hot coral. Yeah. Um, And so… I think that will do two things, right? So one, word of mouth, millennials communicate about literally everything. And so that would create that kind of a buzz and also the media, right? So they'll catch on a little bit. So the early tech adopters will get it on. But um, I don't think that that would play into their volume game, which I, to be honest, I don't even know if that's where they're going. Mm.
0: Yeah, and in, in a world where they're not yet profitable and trying to figure out the business model here, you know, it, it's, it's almost like the... Um, uh, best of form of defense's attack type vibe exactly. you know what, I mean? yeah. what do you think
2: yeah so I don't have a Monzo card which may have set me apart from this room and may get me get, booted get out, out, out very quickly Challenge hey. um, but I think it's a great statement of intent right whether it works or not we don't know um, and to your point David around um, as a form of attack it's a statement of intent that they're not sitting around to be bought by Barclays for a billion pounds mm. they're ready to go global and I think it also sets them apart from Starling right so to date consumers come to us and they say what is the difference between Starling and Monzo? And actually we can start to see a clear differentiator. Starling are going to be working on their business banking proposition significantly. They were one of the big winners of the RBS Remedies Fund something which Monzo lost out to um, and now they're saying essentially look while the UK handles uh, Boris's Brexit Britain we're going to get on with um, betting, betting the farm on, on the USA which is a bold move.
1: I think it is and uh, it's interesting they're not going into a vacuum of challenger banks you mentioned Chime. Um, there's also been Moving and Simple. There's Acorns have gone into debit cards. People use Venmo and the debit cards, Square Cash. There's a lot of U.S. fintech happening. And so they're not, I think when they came and hit in the U.K., they were able to create a bit of a movement and momentum in in a bit of a vacuum, not a massive vacuum. It was fairly easy to move money, but it was still kind of clunky going into your bank account, setting up a new payee. There are things like that that I think they genuinely made an improvement on uh, for most people. And, and for a lot of people, Monza was the first time they experienced it. Other challenge banks like Revolut and Stalling may have been the first time they experienced it. That might not be true in the US, that, and so that unique superpower is is kind of taken away from them. But the only saving grace here is: is this a Monzo Plus? Is it doing too much too fast, or is this sticking to type, sticking to what works, and going for that small group of people that really love the product, iterating around what they need, and, and only growing from there?
0: Yeah, I think think to your point though, it's it, this is this is now. Um... While Starling are diversifying and going into other business areas that they can turn into a profitable thing. Actually, Monzo are, Monzo are still VC Arbitraries, right? We're not, we haven't really seen a, I mean, I appreciate everybody's like, you're so usually pro-monzo. Like, what's happened? Like, have they annoyed you? No. But it's just like the reality of like a business that after four or five years isn't showing profit. I mean, at some point, I would have just thought the regulator, if nobody else is going to start getting concerned. Because, I mean, if RBS didn't turn profit for five years, people would be very concerned. If RBS wasn't making a profit, but then decided to globally expand, people would be concerned. I think it's just almost like the... Some of the and like I say we, we you know we like the guys there, we like what they're doing. but I think there's almost a you, you can get carried away doing too much with you can acquire a lot of customers. Uh, and this is where you know not just Fintech, but actually most startups that are very heavily VC backed to do. it's pumped to get lots and lots of users. And then figure out profitability later, slash maybe IPO and be, you know, not ever have to worry about it. Um, and I don't want them to get into that situation. I really want them to see them figure out how to make being honest and being trustworthy and being profitable, like not mutually exclusive things.
1: And I hope for the same thing as well. Um, I wonder though about the time horizon here for profitability, and I think that's kind of what you're pointing at. The time horizon for you is, is is around four years. for For a traditional VC on a on a tech startup, they always look at the seven to ten year cycle. So are we go are we judging that too early? Is it two three years down the line we need to be looking for profit in their home market, and then? Sort of five, six years on in the US, seven years on in the US, we should start to look for profit. But also as an organisation, they've really shied away from lending. And so, if you're not going to lend, what is the other business model? And that's the question that's not answered. Mm.
0: But I think it comes back to that: is like, I mean, lending gets a bad rep, doesn't it? You know, and actually, to to your point, from a fluid fluid lease perspective, actually, uh, a loan at the right time is the right thing. Uh, but like a loan at the wrong time, I, I, it's like that. Um, every time you have a conversation with a bank, if they're just trying to sell you a loan, it's the wrong thing. Uh, if you, they actually understand what your needs are and actually what it is that the problems are that this would solve for you, then a loan is a perfect thing. So the idea that lending is bad and, you know, uh, and the sort of morality of it comes into it, I, I can see that they have taken that stance mm. and it feels, it feels weird to me. But anyway, it might just be me. I think one thing probably definitely in their favor, and this is actually the next story to move on to, trying to reasonably seamlessly move it forward, um, is the story of Reuters. But this was, um, you know, big banks still haven't got their shit together, which is, Uh I guess, a sign of good opportunity for them to a certain degree. Um, And I found this one quite entertaining, but I'm going to let everybody else go first and then see where I decide to chime in on this one. But um so this is US banks investments in tech is not actually making an impact on revenue. So bank investments in technology not yet driving significant revenue of growth. Uh, so this is an essential study that was released on Thursday that says the $1 trillion invested in traditional banking globally over the last three years to improve tech hasn't actually delivered anything.
1: Cool. It hasn't delivered the revenue growth that had been expected. Uh, and it found that banks uh, that had advanced the most on digital were the most profitable and highly valuable as well so if you are able to get to Nirvana uh, then you you end up being the most profitable but it's almost like somebody did one of those powerpoints you were talking about Dean that said the the profit will come if you just invest in tech but it's it, as you always say David it ain't what you do it's the way you do it like investing in tech is fine but what tech are you investing in are you investing in keeping the lights on on the tech you've got um, are you investing in lots of other things too and how good are those things and are you investing in the right way and, and are you measuring their success i think there's there's a lot of unanswered questions there
0: yeah i mean my uh, i mean what do you guys think and then i'll i mean i'm probably going to go for 20 minutes on this one after this so like go like get in here while you can would be my advice
2: i think it's a, a brave statement for uh, accenture to make <laughs> given uh, given how they uh, given how they make money globally um, I'll, I'll leave it at that
0: that's, it, that's that's going to be 20 minutes of my point right now. It's like, <laughs> hasn't essentially been at the scene of all of these crimes, essentially? Like in terms of the... So the, the point that they're making is a trillion over most US banks when they're in most US banks. And the big ones.
1: Surely... And most of the big transformation programs <laughs> at the big US banks are being led by...
0: So I'm very confused by this. <laughs>
1: this report is basically you've spent a lot of money with us. It hasn't worked. So now you need to spend more money with
0: yeah. us. The, the guy who does knee surgery said knee surgery doesn't work. It's like, <laughs> I don't get it. So so are they – but the, the, the point that they're making here is like, so the recommendation that they're making is moving forwards, banks focus on making more income for taking risks linked with running their balance sheet, which I'm like –
1: uh the recommendation
0: is make more money, right?
1: Yeah, make more money by <sighs> taking risks based on your balance sheet. So be a bank. Yeah, I'm very I'm very confused by this one.
3: I think uh, essentially what they might be saying is that the revenue isn't actually growing, but the costs are coming down. Yes. Uh, and that's how the investment in technology is actually like, like for example, reducing the more physical branches or making um, processes faster. Um, but nothing really in the revenue growth side, which actually the challenger banks are seeing as well, right? They have all of this um, user base, but the revenue side of things are not that strong.
1: Uh, I mean, the revenue side for Oak North is actually pretty great. Um, they've been profitable for quite some time, but their superpower has been identifying those pockets of risk. Uh, and actually, the maybe maybe if I was to really try and play the devil's advocate here, um, in, for Accenture, is the interest rate and credit taking new, um, you know, taking risks linked with running the balance sheet? Mm. Does that mean identify pockets of risk better? Like you, they could have meant that, and if they did, that would make sense given Oak North have. Their superpower is small businesses. People didn't look at them in the same way. They really got to know the business. They looked at things that the bigger banks didn't. And, and now they're
0: doing the same with entrepreneurs and mortgages. I mean, that that makes total sense. You should have written this report. Because <laughs> like, in, in a sense of like, like Goldman Sachs have done with Apple Card, right? Yep. You know, actually destroy somebody else's revenue model rather than trying to protect the existing one that you've got. Yep. Now, that makes total sense. That's not what this report says. Indeed. This, this report is basically saying, actually, people have spent a trillion. They probably spent a lot of it with us. Are bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, fine.
4: Right, Are saying that they need to spend more to put it right?
1: Well, yeah, I think that's what it is. Send, send good money after bad. Um, if you've got a money bonfire, pour a little more on. Uh, why not?
0: All right, on that note. um, Moving on, uh, sticking with the US though. So this is uh, another story. So over in American Banker, this is US big tech says no to fintech charter. So I mean, like Monzo coming into the US, big banks spending lots of money. But the US big techs, uh, particularly in this instance, Google and PayPal, while they've explored the OCC's fintech charter, have done so and then disappeared. So Google, PayPal, and apparently dozens of other technology companies have took a look at the uh, fintech charter that was set out by the Office of Control and Currency, which sounds a lot less cool than the OCC. Like the US definitely do branding really well, don't they? Yeah, Um, Have basically had a good look at what they're actually proposing and then just buggered off, unfortunately. So many technologies (laughs) and fintech companies operate under a national network of state licenses, and they don't want to then jeopardize those relationships from a state-to-state perspective um I think if anything I think the people when what was it two states started suing was it they were suing the yeah Fed? New York
1: came and started trying to sue the OCC um the uh, around uh, I, I guess especially the san- the sandbox uh, there was a statement from uh, one of the I think the, the the lawyers in New York um and some senior position said um Children play in a sandbox, but regulators play with you know, real money and real things. It was it was all quite uh, handbags at 10 yards.
0: That sounded very like they were sort of stroking a gun or something mm. at the time. That's quite uh, quite uh, inflama- uh, inf- uh, inflammatory. There we go. That's, thank you. Um, but the, the idea that essentially they're sort of running into all of these problems and that actually it was set up to try and incentivize new and interesting players kind of coming to this market who are now deciding it's best not to. Mm-hmm. I mean – This seems like quite a big problem given that to your point earlier on around creating more competition, allowing more players to come and kind of come into this space. If big tech isn't and now foreign fintech is like that, is that, do we think that was the intent of this? There's two angles that struck me on this. The first one is the big techs backing away.
1: Uh, why have the big techs backed away? Especially PayPal, who have a banking license in Luxembourg, have backed away from an OCC fintech charter. It makes me think that that's actually too politically risky as well as legal. Um, and you've got to see every everything in, in the US, I guess, through the lens of, of the politics there, and uh, you know which branch of government is uh, which side of the uh, you know, kind of binary political divide. Uh, and you can and, and then things suddenly start to make a lot more sense about why different agencies and different states are arguing with each other. But there are a lot of states like Arizona and Illinois and even New York itself, the SEC, the CFTC. There are a lot of government agencies that have, if not sandboxes, then something like sandboxes that are doing a lot of outreach to fintechs. Delaware has done work. California has done work. So the states themselves are doing an awful lot. I think the one thing that the OCC fintech charter did was create a statement of intent. That appears to have drawn a lot of European, maybe even Asian fintechs into the U.S. market, also given a route out for some of the local fintechs towards debit cards and beyond. And we saw uh, this past week there was a company called Synapse um, that got 30 million out of Andreessen Horowitz to do banking as a platform, banking as a service. There's a whole hive of activity that sort of looks like the UK three or four years ago. So even though it's a regulatory mess, let's not uh, underestimate the fact that it's created some momentum uh, in terms of fintech and the US could happen. But big tech's generally backing away doesn't, doesn't surprise me from the OCC. But I don't think that means big tech is backing away from finance, given you know, everything PayPal does and also given everything happening with Google Pay, XPays. And, and I think the lead that Apple really has
0: in the, in the Apple Pay and now Apple Card space. I guess back to home then. So this is a story on the FT, which is the Bank of England reveals that challengers have challenges. Bank of England finds UK challengers uh, cutting corners. I think that's probably quite uh, an inflammatory little uh, headline right there. So the Bank of England have found that widespread weaknesses amongst the UK challenger banks in stress tests that show new lenders cutting corners in an aggressive suit of growth. Fighting talk from the FT right there. Uh, a senior regulator at the Central Bank wrote to chief executives this week, ordering them to tighten standards and correct over-optimistic risk modeling. I mean, they haven't actually said who, which is a bit weaselly. Yeah, my they,
1: they, they've said challenger banks and, and UK challenger banks are the problem. But then they've also said um, new lenders are cutting corners. New lenders may not be challenger banks and some of the most aggressive new lenders and you know, loan sharks and, and legal loan sharks are almost certainly not the, the challenger banks. So we, we, yeah, I think we need to be mindful of, I think there is a press, mainstream press narrative, particularly the FT and Telegraph, um, that seems to really have it in for uh, all things Challenger Bank at the moment. And it, 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 some of it is clearly warranted. Um, and the point made here about overly optimistic risk modeling is, you know, if you've not been through a cycle of lending then absolutely there's going to be things that come out in the wash. Uh, consumers and small businesses would be put at risk by people who just haven't been there before making assumptions that you know would allow you to grow in a boom market. But as we head into what could be a market uh, that's that's going the other way, could be really, really bad. So it's one of those things where the headline writer has gone for one narrative, but actually I think what the Bank of England said
0: is, is something quite different. Mm. What do you guys think?
2: So, I view it as, um, is really fair and long overdue and particularly around mortgages it's it's really no secret um, so when you talk about challenger banks so uh, the Bank of England will be talking about banks like Metro Bank uh, One Savings Bank who trade as Kent Reliance Paragon Bank who are trying to grow their balance sheets quite aggressively um, the fact is when it comes to mortgages that the big boys are the best they have the highest satisfaction amongst customers as well as brokers and they're also offering the most competitive products the rates that we're seeing from the likes of Barclays and H. SBC are the lowest of anyone in the market. And so in order to grow their balance sheets as aggressively as they need to, um, a number of challenger banks are very much going after the riskier part of the market. Um, So this is widely known within the mortgage space. Um, So I think it's a positive thing, um, because ultimately, it's unlikely to uh, to end well for some of these banks.
3: And I also do think from the consumer perspective and the SME perspective, right, the big boys, as you say, uh, the banks will only lend to a certain segment of the market. And so there's this other underserved part that also obviously needs this credit. Um, and so even though there's, there's these alternative lenders and they might be over optimistic, I think it's we need to test the market and we need mm-hmm. to see how we can price that risk right.
1: One person's overly risky, overly optimistic is another person's financial inclusion, yeah. and it's always a, a, a fine line with these things. And, and thank you for that. I was not aware it was it was mortgage related. I think I've seen a swathe of headlines recently in, in the financial press going after hipster, trendy cards and, and this sort of thing that that really does appear to be uh, kind of tear that down. But the, the point around mortgages, and, and so I think we need a. a a nuanced language around challenges because it's this catch-all of of different organisations you know to some it's the mobile only digital banks to some it's just somebody that's set up in the past 10 years like what is it yeah
2: charter savings bank is nothing like so, and there's nothing like Atom Bank. They're very different. They're, and, all
1: three, and which is very different to Oak North, which is exactly.
0: But it, that that is a really interesting point, though, because if you're in a situation where, uh, like, my mum reading that headline, like, suddenly you're worried about anybody who hasn't been in operation for the last 300 years, you know? like, So, yes. so anything that kind of gets in that catch-all of, like, new stuff. Um, In a period where, you know, the FCA and everybody's been pushing so hard for creating new organizations, creating competition in the market, um, you know, fintech generally could be quite damaged by, I mean, vague headlines that are kind of written in mainstream press. Worrying. Bingo. All right. Um, There was one other story that kind of came out of uh, the FT that I actually found super, super interesting as well before we sort of move on. But those guys have clearly been very busy this week. Um, Did you guys catch that uh, story that came out? It was Kevin Hollenrake was accused of hiding conflict of interest. Did you guys see this?
1: I only saw it because you posted it in our
0: Slack channel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it was really 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 interesting so basically uh i'm gonna summarize the um i mean 35 40 minute rabbit hole i went into on this one at like six o'clock in the morning when i woke up this morning um so because that's um, how cool you were. yeah some events might be dramatized uh, by it was 6 a.m in the morning i okay. can't remember all the details um but essentially a trade body has been established to allow uh mps to look at Some of the malpractice that have been set up in cases against bank uh, bank wrongdoing when it comes to uh, small businesses. Now it transpires that the guy who was set up to actually run this business has actually been shut down by one of the banks. Now um, apparently, a couple of the big banks have basically gone to um, one of the big news outlets. It's not clear which to basically talk about this and say. Hey, maybe this guy's probably not really the most in, you know, balanced guy to really sort of take this one seriously. And maybe you should have a look at whether his intentions are maybe more personal and a bit of a vendetta than it is, uh, like an impartial. Let's make sure everything's fine, which is sort of an interesting one. It's almost. It, this is their interesting out on some of these things but did you guys did anybody catch this or am i just talking about something you've not heard of no so what i would suggest that you do is anybody who's listening to this right now is the letter that he openly wrote about it that was then posted we should link to in the show notes because it's really really sort of interesting sort of reading uh and we'll probably come back to this as this one transpires because it's not done yet There's this sort of looming, this is sort of news before it's news, because there's this looming um, threat of all of this sort of going to the press and being written about, which between this Thursday show and next Thursday show will no doubt come out. So we'll come back to this one next week. All right, on that note, let's take a bit of a break.
1: This deal sets apart, OK, to
4: a
0: brighter future. Problem in that we will the leave agreement. the EU. And, uh, clearly the pressure is beginning. Uh, British
4: jobs are under pressure. They will tell you that Brexit by Brexit. The more so you hear about
0: Brexit, Brexit. Brexit, the less clear it
4: all becomes. Brexit. Brexit. When everyone else is shouting. Listen. For the clarity behind the headlines, subscribe to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com.
2: Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation, and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation, and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision, to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra.
0: Welcome back to FinTech Insider from 11FS. Um, If you did not know, we're hiring right now. So check out 11FS.com forward slash careers to find your dream job. Da, da. Uh, I, I think there needs <laughs> you tried to, be, to do a jingle there, didn't and, you? Uh, I mean, like, if I could get a job that's doing jingles, that'd be great fun. I mean, we've got jobs kind of across the board right now, either in the consulting side of things with product design or technology, in research and benchmarking, or building out what we're doing with Foundry.
1: And doing some really interesting work, building the future of core banking, building the you know, really interesting propositions in really interesting parts of the world. I love my job. <laughs> Not going to lie, it's really fun, but it's also getting to work
0: with some awesome people. So, shout out to all the 11FSs that are already here as well. Indeed. All right, back to the news. So, over on TechCrunch, this one. So, this is RBS. Bo bags Loot staff after they ran out of cash. So after Loot runs out of cash, founder and 17 team members have joined RBS digital bank Bo. So this is Ollie Perdue, the founder of Loot, the current account aimed at millennials. Uh, shortly after going into administration, uh, last month as they ran out of cash, uh, have all decided to go over and join Bo. So that's kind of an interesting move. Like this is, I mean, perplexing, I'm going to say is my summary of this one. Essentially, RBS bought, was it £5 million worth of shares in in uh, Loot, which then went into administration, and then they acquired all of their humans.
2: <laughs> that happened <No>. fast.
0: <laughs> Would anybody else like to make comments on this one? There's obviously some secret
4: source that we don't know about behind the scenes. It's, it's not cash management, but they know something
0: that we don't. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting uh, either... RBS didn't do their due diligence correctly to put $3 million into it in the first place, or something has happened since they put the money into it to have a problem from a cash flow perspective to get them into this circumstance, which is... Perplexing on both sides, isn't it? I think
1: whichever way it plays out, Oli Perdue has been around in the fintech space. He was one of the uh, one of the originals and uh, had built a really talented team. I think uh, Loot was a product loved by its customers. So, uh, if nothing else, I hope Loot, in some way, the product and its customers, you know, everything works out for them. Uh, and I hope the team, you know, go on to doing things that they absolutely love to do and and really really enjoy because uh, that's a lot of talent that's just gone into this, that organisation. Uh, can they keep it? Can they retain it? Will they love what they're doing in their new place? You know, it's a real opportunity to inject some startup talent into into an organization. So, um, you know, shout out to those guys. They've um, they've obviously done well, and and they still have uh, a lot of tube advertising. So they um, they you know they've been out there for a while.
0: Do you know what? something that I did hear, and it sort of speaks to um, Ollie and teams' kind of um, cred there is um, when this happens they actually called around a lot of startups in london to try and ensure that actually everybody who they you know built together as a big team had something to go to ensure that they could live you know pay their mortgage put pay for bills those types of things and i think that speaks a lot to um like you say the credibility of the team that they put in place there's
1: a there's a fintech community that people often don't talk about that we just live in every day and if 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 you're not aware of it, it's really incredible how there is just a network of people that try and help each other out. And I think that's an amazing story. Indeed. What do
0: you guys think?
3: Yeah, I completely agree. And to your point about, you know, hopefully the talent doesn't get lost somewhere in RBS's um, deep, dark crevices. They did say that Bo is built on separate tech, and it's kind of away from the legacy of the RBS um, lot. So hopefully, you know, something good will come out of it
4: it's really good to see that they bought into the people you know they bought into Oli. ollie has got obviously an amazing team behind him you know and whilst this venture didn't succeed that's a great team and Ollie's going to take it and hopefully they'll smash it in the new roles fingers crossed yeah i mean i just hope the story gets written up because
2: uh, uh it's really easy to see a success but actually understanding what went wrong um is also quite important i think for the community
1: I would completely agree. I think we need to be very, very good at knowing what went wrong and having the hard conversations. Um, and and actually, that builds credibility in a massive way with, with everyone internally, externally. That ability to say this didn't go the way we hoped is is really powerful.
0: Hmm. I don't think it's going to be the last time we see a big bank sort of acquire um, a startup. You know, we've we've seen it in lots of spaces. In fact, RBS bought uh, what was the accounting free
1: something agent
0: agent free agent yeah so actually like they are doing this and that sort of makes sense if you can buy something understand it maintain it not lose the purpose of it in the first place it's probably a pretty good model for catching up on
1: I wonder, so there are a couple of, there's the simple bank in the US example where a lot of the talent left quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be a real shame to see this happen. And how do you, there's a really interesting question of how does uh, an organization like a big bank who sees a real, it's, like for them, it's a massive get to have all of this talent come into you. So how do you keep them engaged? How do you get the most of them? Hopefully they're landing in roles where they can really get fulfilled and, and run at what's in front of them.
0: Indeed. Hockie uh Moving on, there is a story over on Quartz. Uh, so Uber pivots to fintech, uh, but this is nothing new. So Uber is pivoting to fintech, something Asian startups have been doing for some time now. Um, Uber, the cash-burning ride-hailing service, wow, we went for them on that one, that was nice, uh, is reportedly making a big push into financial services technology. So, I mean, we've seen big companies over in Asia do this. You know, Grabber really sort of, I guess, at the forefront of doing that over in Singapore, right? Yeah, Grab, but also Gojek. Um, there's a lot of plays at being the super app uh,
1: in that part of the world and ride-hailers that that kind of get into that, uh, partially because um, there's, uh, there's just a... There's not as common that people have debit cards like you would have in the West, so you you actually need to have that cash in, cash out facility. Grab drivers outside of Singapore typically are cash in, cash out agents into the Grab wallet, and the Grab wallet is then something you can use uh, in in merchants. Also, India's Ola uh, made fintech a priority in 2015, um, and so and then the payment app that they created, uh, Ola Money, is now a standalone app. So, yeah, there's there's definitely Uber learning from uh, Grab
0: here, I think, and Gojek and others. I mean, it's an interesting one that at some point your employee base is so big that you start monetizing them in weird and wonderful ways. Like, I, there's something sort of using all of the pieces to that, which seems... Very sensible, doesn't it?
1: It does, and and Uber's been toying at this for some time. They they've got a cash app, and they launched a branded credit card a few years ago. Um, but this appears to be them sort of taking their time in different markets. I, I sort of look at you know you've got Ant Financial and with Alipay and WeChat and those Chinese super apps that have ride hailing as a part of what they do. Uber's kind of coming in at it the other way, and in, and in Western markets, you know we have. Uber the ride hailing app Uber Eats we have Facebook we have Instagram we have WhatsApp and we have this design pattern that's these separate apps that are part of the same network in Asia the 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 sort of design pattern's very different you have one app and inside that one app you can kind of do everything so it's it's a lot easier to take some users and move them from the core thing they're doing to that next thing to to that next thing so it's really interesting to see what is Uber going to go after here? What's their big push into financial services going to be? Because they've been doing a lot of um, partnerships around insurance for their drivers, around financial services for their drivers, around real-time payouts uh, and that side of it. But what do you do on the uh, the rider side? What does the rider or what does the, the food delivery customer uh, what what job can you do for them better than somebody else that's already in the market? And I genuinely um, don't know the easy answer to that, uh, unless you can start to offer something in terms of uh, brand perception uh, and, and do it around subscriptions. So we've seen Uber has uh, rolled out their Uber Black and their subscription model in the US. Does that give you this scarcity, this brand, this lifestyle piece that's really, really interesting? So The type of person that takes a lot of Ubers, gets a lot of Uber Eats, probably is reasonably affluent. You could make something
0: that's pretty aspirational
1: in terms of a card and an identity around it. Is that it? Is it something else?
0: Don't know. I mean, has Uber got a brand these days that everybody wants to affiliate with? What do you guys think? Like, Is it at that stage or like maybe like four years ago, right?
3: I think it's less about it being a standalone ride healing app or Uber Eats type thing. I think it's essentially a platform that has scale and has um consumers connected their bank accounts to it. And that's why it makes an easy step into the payments bit. And um <clears throat> in terms of what is it that Uber can provide that other banks, for example, can provide, um the I know the Uber credit card has, I think it's between two and four percent cash back yeah. on mm-hmm. um Ride Hailing or Uber Eats, which is actually brilliant because the more I use my Uber app, the more cash back I'll get. And that's just yeah. a cycle that will make me want to use them more and more. So I I'm think saving the money by
0: taking a taxi. <laughs> What's really different
1: is you know, if you go into Gojek or um, Grab uh, and you're in Southeast Asia. To a Western eye, they look really messy. It's offers and discounts and cashback, but also the banks in those regions offer 10% cashback, 8% cashback, which is which is completely unheard of in in sort of Western Europe because interchange is lower. And in the US, you get it, um, but in the US, they talk about affinity versus reward. And can Uber do something with in the us with affinity and reward um i think that's an interesting question because if you look at sort of brand permission you've got two axes you've got um warmth and likability and then you've kind of got dominant and competent warmth and likability uber maybe not dominant competent um actually that's not a bad place to be brands that are dominant and competent are rolex apple are dominant and competent because they're so big and they have scale. So you can still do something with lifestyle um, if, if you're in that brand position.
2: Yeah, so I see this as a really interesting playbook for some of the kind of bigger, more traditional uh, firms out there. And we only have to look uh, back across the pond. So Delta Airlines uh, told us that they made 3.4 billion last year from their credit card um, a partnership with Amex. And they're aiming to drive that to 7 billion uh, by 2023. Now, billion was 7.5% of their revenue. And there is no doubt that the credit card revenue is is the most profitable part of that business. Um, So it isn't just uh, cool fintechs uh, in Asia, but actually we don't have to look that far away to see diversification of revenue and monetizing those eyeballs and those consumers is absolutely key, whether you're a Monzo or whether you're a Delta Airlines.
1: And if you're a ride-hailing big tech that is burning cash, I think all of them are looking at fintech as their way as to how they hit profitability. Because banking done right with enough eyeballs and enough scale is a great way to make money as you say um, so do they, what is that brand permission that they have? I really liked, has anybody seen the new City Mapper pass that they've done in London? Um, this is this is a new app that was launched so um, City Mapper have released, uh, I think it's about £100 a month, there's a limited number of users, it's all you can eat, ride hailing, um, the bikes, uh, London bikes, transport for London inside of Zone 1 and Zone 2, £100 which if you live inside Zone one and zone two is actually a discount over the the kind of the monthly fare anyway and yet you can get all you can eat ride hailing that's amazing that's incredible offer and that's one of those things that seems like an incredible offer but only certain people get there i have that scarcity and that limit so i look at things like that and think is there something whereby you know you could really experiment with where the beachhead is here and and have a real play with it
4: oh sorry i'm a little perplexed as a uber user why would i want them to manage my money as potentially a driver, I could see why that would appeal to me because it becomes a benefit that the, the business offers the me. Upbringing. Yes, But as a customer, I use them for Uber Eats and for getting in a taxi. What else are they going to offer me that a fintech challenger
1: bank isn't or one of incumbent isn't? I think the driver side is the no-brainer. The interesting thing is they've done that mostly with partnerships. So how much value can they extract there? And the other thing is for their profitability, their driver side probably doesn't make the business case stack up. So their rider side is going to have far more eyeballs and far more users and far more profitable eyeballs and users. Unfortunately, often the drivers are not making the income that would make the business case make sense. So I take your point, though, which is, okay, but what's that compelling reason I have to use this thing is, is kind of missing. But that's what I was pointing out with the City Mapper app pass. If they didn't say um, that this is, this is something to manage your money, if they said this is an all-you-can-eat pass to uh, kind of getting around London and it comes with a card, you'd be like, give me the card then. And so brand permission and what you, the first thing you do on the journey to becoming sort of the, the all you can eat ride hailing, you know, kind of the, the PFM manage your money. The first thing you do and the last thing you do might not be the same.
0: I mean, it comes back to that point. I mean, oh, God damn. I can't believe I'm doing this. It comes back to that point that essentially we're making in that report earlier on.
1: Oh, <laughs> damn it.
0: Oh, God. Um, that actually like going after somebody else's revenue model rather than just protecting your own actually makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but. I mean, in a world where you've got a lot of customers, bear with me for a second. You have a lot lot of customers, right? I'm there. Imagine you're a big CEO has a lot of customers. And then you're like, I'm going to go after somebody else's thing. Like, why are people doing that to big banks and not big banks doing that to other people? You know, big banks are in a situation where they've got tens of millions of customers to actually build off of. Why have they been so bad at doing bank assurance when actually that seems like such an obvious place to kind of go to to sell other things to? What, what's the problem there?
1: I, I wonder if it's an execution thing and a DNA thing. Um, and can... Is what you're pointing at like a real opportunity? Yeah. Like because there's you've got a customer base. What you could do is do something that doesn't mean you're doing just pure banking. You're doing something slightly different. That's an opportunity for growth. Yeah. Uh, to the Accenture point earlier. I think we all agree looking for growth is is absolutely the top line strategic thing so going after those pools just makes a ton of sense
0: yeah i mean in in um in a banking sense when margins are being squeezed and everybody's you know worried about the uh you know the the sort of um you know the the, the rebels at the gates type thing mm-hmm. then i mean while you're fighting these guys like go try and take somebody else's revenue to a certain degree so, yeah you know, <laughs> i know i'm gonna like, Ross McEwen, if you're listening, yeah. like, uh, <laughs> this is the play. Stop trying to acquire small startups. Like, go take on, like, a big organization type thing. But it's, you know, it is the it is the point because it's like, actually, at what point, I mean, after 300 years, do you just stop expanding? Yeah. You know, Uber 200 and what? 90 years from now or whatever it is? Do they stop expanding into other people's territory and ossify in terms of what they do? Isn't
4: it more that the incumbents are comfortable? They are still making money hand over fist. If you look at their reports, you know, quarter on quarter, they're not losing money. If you look at Uber, they are losing money so they're, they're having to pivot they're having to say they're having very different board meetings to what an incumbent bank is having
1: but I think the share price story is quite different for Uber than it is for uh, for the for the bank CEOs at the moment they're, they're looking at what is the growth story what is going to be the, the cost income story that gets me to something different than I'm just rising and falling with with the Bank of England's uh, rates which don't look like they're going up anytime soon so I'm not going to hit the, the good old days aren't coming back uh, if anything they're going away uh what's that story i start to tell and and what's that thing i can do uh if there are these massive platforms out there with lots of users on them but that are you know really trying and poking around at how they get into fintech but they just can't get the license they're backing away from the OCC charter you're seeing them dabble and dabble and dabble and not try to be able to get there you've got this superpower that you could go play to which is i got the licenses just need to execute on something different that i think that opportunity is almost too good to pass up.
0: yeah i mean Big banks have been created by a sort of swashbuckling level of mergers and acquisitions over Mm -hmm. a long period of time, and actually, almost that's subsided a little bit, hasn't it? In terms of the uh, the global expansion that that it was, so it's not
1: geographic anymore.
0: But so if
1: you're not expanding geographically, an M and A is not the the answer. we have seen it with CYBG and Virgin Money. That's an answer still clearly. But there's got to be something else in the kit bag now that's that's available, especially given the, the availability of some of these platforms, the amount of users and eyeballs on them, the data you can pull in from those platforms and the interesting things that you could quickly do on the back of it.
0: Hmm. What do you guys think? Do we need the good old days of m as for big banks kind of going back? bringing sort of back or i mean is is this something that banks should be considering in terms of outgunning other people or do you think they should sort of stick to their knitting
2: um so i think the the strategy that i think is is the most interesting to me is, is the one that rbs have adopted right so they've gone off and they started esme loans and they started metal and we've got bow coming up and i think that's a really interesting strategy when you've got such dominant brand like NatWest, why do you go off and spend millions trying to get um Consumers and businesses to know all these new brands, but I don't think that the industry doesn't really have a clear answer to this question. Um, it's kind of wait and see for most banks, and actually internally a lot of them are still firefighting and they're trying to keep up with their competitors. Uh, so from a mortgage perspective, you're trying to keep up with the guy that's below you and the guy that's above you, and that's actually determining their outlook to to quite a significant degree.
3: I think it's also slightly different um, depending on the market you're in. So the UK versus the US, for example. In the US, I often find that there's more collaboration between the banks and the fintechs. Um, and I find that, for example, Simple was bought by BBVA. And, you know, uh, there was just a bunch of other other like more collaborative plays. Um, I wonder if it's in part due to regu- regulatory um, environments or if it's because of consumer mindset in that the US is just slightly more like a lot more behind in the fintech world than the UK. Um, so, you know, how the UK is already at contactless and uh, challenger banks are like pretty prolific. In the US, it's like magnetic stripes. Uh, we, they still have to get to chip and pin and then contactless. And then, you know, consumer trust with the banking um, industry is also like pretty low. So I think there's various factors playing into that.
4: I I see that banks can pivot, but right now I believe they can only pivot in the world of financial services, and they can target their guns at a new product or a product that they're not serving servicing as well as they currently do today. I've seen a lot of customer studies and been involved in them where customers are saying, I want you as a bank to do what's best for my financial services and my situation. They're not saying, I want you to go away and build a new Uber for me. Mm -hmm. Um so I, I can't see banks moving out of the stratosphere of financial services, but they should be doing
1: more in the world of managing my everyday money, my yeah, it's, spend, it's and those my end-to-end future. journeys, yeah. isn't it? it? It's it's about those end-to-end journeys and and moving from just selling commodity products to kind of connecting that into a service that, that really recognizes that you exist outside of the bank, and not just aggregating your account data, but realizing that you have other accounts with other platforms, and what can I do if I bring that together and really move into you know sort of like the private banker in your pocket, this idea that I, I know about you, and I know what you're looking for, I'm trying to do the best thing for you and anticipate things that are coming up in the future.
0: Agree. Um, so I guess one person who is trying to make that world better is the next story. This is Dave helping you build your credit score. Everybody knows a Dave, don't they? It's wonderful. <laughs> um, so this is a story over on Business Insider. So Dave, a fintech startup backed by Mark Cuban and somebody I've no idea who it is, who's Diplo. Anybody idea? I've never heard of him. Yeah, okay. Famous person we've never heard of. I'm going to uh, say it's music. Yeah. It sounds like <laughs> it might be, yeah. Um, so apparently launching a checking account that helps users build their credit score. So this is a LA-based company um, backed by lots of, oh, DJ Diplo. Nailed it. Um, they're rolling out a new checking product, uh, really Looking at actually sort of consolidating a bunch of things, different things together. So it's going to be reporting all rent payments to the credit agencies. Um, and a new feature that's just been launched actually is uh, how to help customers build their credit score by planning and reporting utility payments in various different ways. Um, seems interesting. I guess this is like the trend of sort of moving, I guess, more and more to a service. So, you know, similar with fluidly, this is not about you buy a alone you buy a product this is about being in a situation where you're actually you're working with somebody who to your point is actually on your side um and that's kind of an interesting context i'm not sure about the name with dave but uh i mean as a david i've never liked being called dave so uh it doesn't work for me but um. so this is a complete tangent um but uh, has anybody heard of burnley
1: and yes um so do you want to tell the story um,
2: so, it was a part of a Channel 4 documentary, right? Yeah. So, it yeah. started it's, by a local... the Bank of Dave, isn't it? Bank of yeah. Dave. It was Bank lo-
1: on Dave, because you can't call it the Bank of Dave, um, because it wasn't a regulated bank.
2: It was a credit union, right? Yes. Um, so, yeah, this uh, quite a well-known entrepreneur in... Burnley. Yeah. <laughs> I think he started with a, a fleet of minibuses for hire yeah. um, and he got fed up with the bank. So he decided to start his own yeah. um, in uh, offering kind of better savings rates uh, than a typical institution. But uh, as a credit union, I believe it's still going. It's, it's still, still a going. Turn, One and, and
1: they've recently um, they've recently expanded from two to three staff. Um, And the company continues to make decisions based on the experience of good old-fashioned common sense, apparently, making a difference to small businesses and, quote, real people, um, and has also helped a large number of different charities and good causes along the way. Um, If you've got some time this weekend on YouTube, check out the documentary Bank on Dave. It was absolutely fantastic. Tangent aside, um, there's a really interesting company called Credit Ladder that's been around in the UK for quite some time, does something quite similar, Uh, sends, uh, you know, if you pay your rent on time, it sends that to the credit rating. rating agencies and i think any credit builder app is is generally a really good thing and should be welcomed Um, but the backers here are are quite major and i think that's substantial
3: no i completely agree that um you know you're helping people who have a poor credit score so especially students and young adults who are really trying to uh, build their credit score to get their first home or um, get get a loan and if you want to get the best rates and it's I, i just find that it's actually a really good thing that they're working towards
2: I think uh, Dave's a phenomenal name for what it's worth and a lot better than Bo. Come on, come on we're British we can't, can't have a bank called Bo um, but it's also very in keeping with Mark Cuban right so Mark Cuban's quite a well-known uh, billionaire based in uh, te- Texas but very much a, a man of the people type of billionaire so I think Dave very much fits in uh, with his persona.
1: A-, a checking account that helps you build your credit score uh, I think th- there's almost nothing to this. Like here I wish them well um, and uh, I think that forecast of what their account balance will look like before next payday by analyzing their monthly bills is always interesting because in the UK you have that issue of advice guidance, mm. kind of that fine line. Um, but the, if you're saying you'll have uh, $1,700 in your account on Monday, but their $1,500 rent is coming out on Wednesday, the app will send an alert say that they only have $200 to spend until payday. So I think there's some simple math there that you can do that's like, okay, this is... And I think it was probably Moven that were the first to do this with a safe to spend limit way back in the day. Um, that but was simple, safe to spend, wasn't it? Simple was safe to spend. Yeah, my, my bad. Apologies, uh, Shamir. Um, but I think that concept is, has been around for a while. But what's happening here is just the sheer amount of people trying to do this in the U.S. market in the context of Monzo entering, Chime, Varro. There's a lot of people trying to get that done there at the moment. And I think if if I'm an incumbent, uh, it was interesting last week we talked about uh, Finn by Chase being closed down. Um, but there are also rumors that J.P. Morgan Chase is trying to do another challenger. I don't think we've seen the end of the large organizations uh, trying, to, trying to come at this space. Uh, it's, it's really heating. You just mentioned
4: that Dave also is looking to start giving advice on what you should be doing with your money. You can already start seeing what the actual feature set of this product looks like in the future. You know, and they're starting by, it's truly a customer first proposition on helping to build that credit score. And then when they know more about you, they can help you make better informed decisions along your life path.
0: Yeah. So we, I, thumbs up for Dave. I mean as a branding thing, like we've had a lot of like bots come out all of which you know like the series and Cortana like you can see like an AI bot of Dave, can't you? Yeah. Like there and everybody would trust that, wouldn't they? Cuz like Dave won't do you any harm. I'm sorry, Dave. Everybody Dave, has oh, a mate, Dave. Oh yeah, actually you know thinking about it that didn't turn out too well did it. All right, moving on. This is possibly one of the most most terrifying And finally, stories I think we've ever done, having actually gone and had a good look at this. Um, So Amazon is selling a shock bracelet to help you curb bad habits. Um, So it's a new tool uh, sold on Amazon for $200, uh, a smart wearable device that helps you break bad habits by giving you an electric shock. Irony. Does, Does that not like
1: spending $200 on Amazon to buy something that stops you from doing stupid things? <laughs> so so the device can, can, uh,
0: uh, it stops you buying stuff more and stuff on Amazon yeah, yes' so I'm, I see where I'm, I'm looking that, directly yeah. at you dude. yes I know um so it, uh, connects directly to your iPhone or Android device and can train you away from bad habits with electric shock so according to the product description on Amazon the bracelet is used by over fifty thousand people already uh, to break a range of habits from smoking to over like oversleeping. Mm. Can you imagine, like, you hit snooze and next you know you got, like, <gasps> 20,000 volts through your head. You know, like...
1: Yeah, the problem is aversion therapy works. So maybe we as humans are all uh, kind of not as smart as we, like, to think we are and we need this product. And we need to buy more things from Amazon so that we can stop
0: buying things that we don't need. Yeah, but how does it stop you smoking? Like, how does... I mean... Like, what is does it no Yeah, putting a chip in my mouth will... I mean, like, a for, for the Americans, that's a... Fry, yeah, which is a French fry. But but doing that and the uh, the thing of smoking is quite similar. So like,
1: yeah, hey, I I was just gonna go eat this leaf from yeah, my salad. Exactly. Ah, yeah, no, so it's
0: not a French fry. Very confused. Like I'm almost. I'm almost tempted to just buy one of these to, like, see what happens. I
1: wonder if it's data-driven as well. Could you set something, like, where you have an if this, then that recipe that comes out of your challenger bank, whereby if you spend money doing something, like, you, this is the third transaction in that pub in the space of an hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: man, it gets into, like, risk-reward at that stage, yeah. doesn't it? Because it's like, I really want those chicken wings, but is it worth the electric shock? Well, but the food soaks up the alcohol. Yes, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I feel like if anybody could do that, maybe, like, Simon Van Galena could like sort that out. I I feel
1: like he's already working on it and there's a drone involved.
3: This, This story really made me laugh. I mean, like, would I want to feel both guilty and also get into physical pain by wearing this device? I mean, if I'm addicted to something, I'll just not wear it.
0: So you're yeah. going to like just, ta- I mean, it has to stay on you. There's got to be something that keeps, like, the, it, it's like, um, what are those ankle bracelets they put on people? If yeah. you could just take it off, it defeats the <laughs> point, doesn't yeah. it? So. I,
4: I imagine you have to set the rules as well. So you just lie when it comes to the
0: rules. We'll like set really easy targets. Yeah. <laughs> so nobody's up for buying? Is it, am I alone in probably buying one of these over the weekend then? Wow, you're going to buy one of these? Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, you have to have one. D-
1: and, and are you going to set it up so that if you buy more silly stuff, that it will start <laughs> zapping you? Mr. Bought an Oculus Quest on the first day it came out.
0: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, maybe it will stop me playing on the Quest So, much. <laughs> All right. On that note, while I trundle off to Amazon to buy one of those weird things, that wraps up another week's new show. Thank you so much to all of our guests. Uh, where can people find out a little bit more about you?
3: So you can find me on Twitter at um, Shafali underscore G or on LinkedIn. Also, shameless plug, we are hiring like crazy too. So,
0: What type of roles are you looking for?
3: Um, literally everything across the board, tech, sales, operations.
1: My favorite kind of thing whenever hiring as well is also if the role isn't there, click the button that says... None of these as well. I just want to see if there's something there. Absolutely, and we'll the, find something. About 30% of the people we get come through through that Yeah, The weird and wonderful ones. <laughs> Dean, how about you? You can find me on LinkedIn, Dean Butler. Very good. Michael? I too am
2: on LinkedIn, unless, of course, you're a recruiter, in which case, please leave me alone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an evergreen statement for everybody, isn't it? That's, um, they're
0: just relentless aren't they it's you amazing imagine
1: what this guy gets CEO and co-founder of 11FS <laughs> I,
0: just, I can't go on the internet anymore I need one of those electric shop things <laughs> Simon
1: uh, you can find me on well your favourite podcast client uh, check out Blockchain Insider episode 101 talking all about Facebook coin and we also did an interview with the CFO of
0: Binance so that's Ooh. well worth checking out very good you can find me at David Breer on Twitter um, what do you think of today's stories I- if you did enjoy the show head over to itunes leave us a review we really do love reading those reviews like genuinely i love reading those reviews don't you
1: yeah well um, my favorite is when you read them out loud in the office and then really struggle to read a bit and then bring the rest of the office into a high-pitched bit where i'm struggling to read it and then you sound like you're careful the spoiling
0: i mean at this point it's the only <laughs> way i know how to read on that note goodbye.